Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sitting at the Feet of Jesus. I'm your host, Patrick Ransom. A little uh, background on me. Uh, I'm married uh, to my lovely wife, Kim. We have four grown kids who are out of the house. We are empty nesters. We call uh, Second Baptist Church uh, our second home here in Houston, Texas, where I am a Bible teacher in an adult Bible study class. Um, I love uh, teaching and preaching God's Word. Um, I'm a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. I graduated this past December, so we're excited to see what uh, Christ does in our lives here as we move forward uh, looking for uh, pastoral positions, um, most likely in the Texas area. So that's it about me. Um, here's what we're going to study this morning. We're going to look at uh, Jonah chapter 4. Uh, I love the book of Jonah. Uh, short, concise, kind of like the book of Ruth. Uh, beautiful in its original language of Hebrew. Um, I often compare it, uh, if you read Jonah in the English translation, it's like watching a black and white TV show. Uh, but when you uh, study it and, and understand Hebrew, it's really like watching it um in HD, in full color uh, HD. So I just, I just really love it. Here, here's the question um, that I want to ask you, and and for you to think about this week: How do we respond when God does not act as we think He should? Because we've all done that before, right? We think God should act or react or respond to a particular situation uh, the same way you and I would do. And when he doesn't, uh, friends, it can lead to frustration or confusion or even uh, anger, as we see today uh, in Jonah chapter 4. The other day, my wife and I were driving uh, down the street. We come to this four-way stoplight, and directly across the street from us is a a police officer sitting in a police car, and he is also waiting at the red light, uh, going the opposite direction. Now, uh, the light turns green, and... No joke, probably at least it felt like a full second went by and then a car zoomed right through the intersection, um, obviously running the red light. And and it was so late and I thought for sure something was going to happen. I, you know, I audibly said like, oh my, like, oh my, this is, this is happening. And I thought for sure that the next step would be is that I would hear the sirens go off and the lights start flashing and the police officer chase after this guy. Um, but friends, that's not what happened. Uh, this guy flew through the intersection and the police officer just went on his way. And quickly my, um, my oh my turned into an oh no, just like that. And, and friends, it was an oh no of, of anger. Uh, it, was, it was one of I wanted justice right now. I wanted to see that police officer take off and punish that guy because I felt like that guy deserved judgment right then, right there. But the funny thing is, just a few weeks earlier, uh, we're driving in Tennessee on vacation, and uh, I was I was the one speeding, and I had passed an 18-wheeler, and there was a cop just on the other side of the 18-wheeler. And folks, you know if you've ever sped like that, that that there was no recourse. I just knew I was guilty. I figured 100% that the cop was going to turn on his lights. We're looking in the rearview mirror, but but he did it. 
And, you know, of course, in that situation, what do we say? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, right? Um, friends, that's the human condition right there. Grace and mercy for me and justice and judgment for the other guy. That, that's the tension that we see there, right? And we, and we see this tension all throughout the Old Testament between God's mercy, his graciousness, and his uh, judgment. And, and we see it in the book of Jonah here uh, this morning. Um, you know, all throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, glimmers or hints in the Old Testament of how this tension will eventually be resolved um, in the New Testament, in the personal work of Jesus Christ. But by and large in the Old Testament, we're left with this tension between God's mercy and his judgment. And what we frankly, we expect God to judge those who deserve to be judged and to show mercy to those who need mercy, but how do we respond when God does not act the way we think he should? That's what we're going to look at today. Jonah chapter four, it's this very uh, tension uh, that Jonah responds to, and friends, he's angry. And so we see a uh, an accusation that, that Jonah lobbies against uh, Yahweh here in the first uh, three or four verses, and then the remaining verses, verses uh, five through 11, is this beautiful object lesson um, that many of you probably have learned at one point or another when you've heard the story of Jonah. Um, it's this beautiful object lesson in mercy and judgment. So what's going on here in chapter four? Well, everything from chapter one until chapter three has basically been leading up to this point, right? Jonah uh, has heard this call from God. You must go to Nineveh. You must preach this message of repentance. Jonah flees. He, you know, he's there at the sailors. He's fleeing from the sailors. He's fleeing from the Ninevites. He's fleeing from God. All this culminates basically in this last chapter uh, uh, with Jonah sulking in in Yahweh teaching. Right? It's it's in this final chapter, friends, that we see the main point of this story uh, revealed. Jonah, if I were to wrap him up in just a few words, he is a rebellious self-righteous prophet running away from God's call. And at the end of chapter two, we basically see him in the belly of the fish. Um, he's in this dire situation, and this, and it's at this point of, in his life that he cries out to God for deliverance. And I thought to myself this past week, isn't this so true of you and I? Isn't it that when we're stuck uh, in a dire situation, it's that point when you and I call out to God for help, not before that. But I don't want you to miss this. Uh, Jonah cries out to God, uh, but he never fully confesses or repents. You know, um, yet God shows him compassion and mercy and delivers him from his situation. Jonah says, "All right, Lord." Uh, chapter three is kind of this start, new start. I'm going to go. I'm going to preach to Nineveh like you told me. Although I'm going to do it begrudgingly, he indeed. Uh, arose and obeyed the Lord, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, and he preached this message of repentance. And 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed. And the people perceived this message from Jonah as divine. And they believed and they repented. And God, being the gracious, patient, and loving God that he is, y'all, he forgave Nineveh and he relented, meaning he delayed that judgment on them. 
And, and y'all, this is the very thing that Jonah did not want to happen. I just wanted to make sure you understand. This. Nineveh repenting and God relenting was the exact thing Jonah did not want to happen. He wanted to see justice laid out on Nineveh. And so he's angry and complaining. We see the beginning here in chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 1. It says that uh, it was gravely unjust in Jonah's eyes, and it made him furious. This word furious here is just like a burning, uh, burning like a fire just lit within him. And he and he prayed to Yahweh, and he said, Oh, Yahweh, this was my issue with your commission while I was still in my own country. This is why I tried to avert this by fleeing to Tarshish, because I know that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abundant in mercy, and the one who relents concerning judgment. Now, Yahweh, please kill me because it is better for me to die than for me to live. Right? The, the English rendering of verse 1 is not really entire reflective of what's going on here in the Hebrew. Right? The, the, your English translation may say Jonah was greatly displeased, um, but it just really fails to communicate the full force of what's going on here. Really, the Hebrew says it was it was evil to Jonah, a great evil. In other words, Jonah looked upon the grace that God showed the Ninevites, and Jonah considered it evil. From Jonah's point of view, God extending grace to the Ninevites was a, a it was a violation of God's justice and his righteousness. Jonah finds it gravely unjust that Yahweh failed to execute judgment. Listen to this as Jonah sees fit. This is the key here uh, to Jonah chapter 4, right? This is all from Jonah's perspective. Jonah thinks God should react a certain way, and when he doesn't, it leads to anger and frustration. Folks, you and I are just like Jonah. We really are in the different situations that we run into life. We think God should act or react or respond a particular way, and when he doesn't, that leads to frustration or anger. To Jonah, Nineveh's evil uh, far outweighed any possible um, grace or forgiveness of God. Surely, if anyone had gone too far for God's good graces and forgiveness, it would have been the Ninevites. Verse 2 really reveals the motivation here behind Jonah's disobedience. Jonah, knowing exactly who Yahweh is, decides he doesn't want Yahweh to be gracious and merciful. He does not want Yahweh to be the God that he is. In other words, Jonah knows who Yahweh is and how Yahweh relates to people, yet he he doesn't like it in this situation. Isn't that so true of us? Ugh. Don't get me don't get me started. In fact, here here's here's what uh, Jonah wants Yahweh to act um, in in a manner contrary to Yahweh's very nature. I don't want you to miss this. Jonah's knowledge of Yahweh's character brings Jonah great agony because it conflicts with Jonah's wants. You know, as, as I as I prayed and prepared for this uh, lesson all week, uh, I just kept coming back to this message of uh, my wants and how it conflicts with God's wants. Jonah wants justice to be poured out on Nineveh, but what he gets instead is Yahweh's mercy and grace poured out on them. And I love verse 3. You know, the irony in verse 3 is that, that Jonah is unable to uh, handle Yahweh's mercy on Nineveh. And he just basically asks Yahweh, uh, please show me mercy by killing me. It's better for me to be dead than it is for me to be alive, right? A little dramatic, yes. But in effect, what Jonah is saying here is, 
you know, God isn't acting the way Jonah wanted him to, and it's killing him. It's really placed here in, in, you know, in the story here as a contrast. When faced with impending death, the sailors petitioned Yahweh for life. Y'all, the Ninevites begged for mercy, but here Jonah just can't take the unjust mercy shown to the Ninevites by Yahweh. Therefore, he wants to die. And I love, I love the Lord's response here to Jonah in 4.4. It, this is a great translation. It says, is it really good for you to be angry? Yahweh's question here in the following object lesson, focus on how Jonah responds when Yahweh does not act as Jonah thinks he should. Is it really good for you to be angry? And instead of answering him, Jonah, it says in verse 5, that he left the city and sat to the east of the city and made a shelter for himself. Then he sat under the shade waiting for uh, to see what would happen to the city. All right. Instead of answering Yahweh's question, Jonah goes outside the city. Y'all, we see this direction east. The, the book of Jonah is all about directions. You know, he he arose, he, he went down, um, he went east. Uh, you know, it, the east here in, in the Old Testament is often references, you know, uh, a place of uh, wilderness or desert. It's a place far away from God, and he's out here sitting far away from God, sulking, and perhaps waiting to see if Yahweh will decide to eventually bring judgment on Nineveh. But it's but it's at this point that God's going to show Jonah this object lesson of mercy uh, and judgment. Listen here in verse 6. It says, Then Yahweh, God, appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to provide shade for him and to deliver him from his misery. Jonah was exceedingly happy about the plant. But then God appointed a worm, and at the break of dawn the next day, it struck the plant, and the plant withered. And when the sun appeared, God, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun struck Jonah's head, and he grew faint. Jonah wanted to die, and he said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, is it really good for you to be angry on account of this plant? To which Jonah responded, I am right to be angry, even to the point of death. Yahweh said, you are troubled over a plant which you did not cultivate, nor did you cause it to grow. It grew overnight and perished the following night. And I, should I not be more compassionate over Nineveh, that very important city, which has more than 120,000 people who do not know how to follow my laws or even its numerous animals? I love object lessons. This, this one could be a little confusing because there's a few things going on. So let me clarify, right? So first in verse 6, uh, as Jonah sits outside of Nineveh, hoping that Yahweh will execute judgment, Yahweh intervenes in Jonah's life. The plant, y'all, uh, that Yahweh provides is more than a simple plant. It is the first part of this object lesson. Jonah asked Yahweh to show mercy and to kill him since he is in mental anguish. But instead, Yahweh shows him mercy by giving Jonah physical relief. And despite how troubled he is with this perceived unjust act of mercy towards Nineveh, I love this, is that Jonah rejoices greatly over the plant. He, he rejoices over this physical comfort. It, it's really ironic uh, here that he's so happy over the Lord's mercy in providing shade, yet he's so uh, deeply troubled over the Lord's mercy in not destroying Nineveh, it's it's a it's a little bit 
strange to me. We see this word appoint over and over here that we see here in verse six. It's this Hebrew word mana. Just as Yahweh appointed the big fish to deliver Jonah from drowning, he appoints a plant to provide Jonah comfort and deliver him from misery. We see he also appoints the worm to then remove that mercy. That, that's what's happening here in verse seven and eight, right? Yahweh, who showed mercy to Jonah by providing this plant, now removes his mercy and lets Jonah experience God's judgment, right? This judgment comes in the form of the sun and the scorching east wind. Y'all, this is the same judgment that Jonah wished upon the Ninevites. And that's the beauty of this object lesson. The Lord's like, you didn't deserve the, the shade from the plant, but I gave it to you. And that's my grace and mercy. But now let me also show you my justice and my judgment. This is what it looks like. And he basically takes away that plant and it says, you know, the sun is beating down on him. Um, it's a typical hot Houston day. It's scorching. Um, I love this, what um, Chuck Swindoll says. He says, when it comes to Jonah and Jonah's uh, trials, he says, understand this. With Yahweh, judgment delayed is not judgment denied. Right? He's saying judgment delayed... God is going to um, judge that, that sin in Nineveh, uh, but because they repented at that time, he delayed that judgment. So it's not that he's not going to judge sin. He will judge sin, but, but it's going to be a delayed here. Jonah has not yet realized here in verse 9 that the question posed here is really about himself and not the plant. Um, by affirming his anger over the plant, uh, Jonah has taken the first step, right? The next step is to make this connection between the plant and Nineveh, right? Throughout the entire book, Yahweh has pursued Jonah. Verse 10, it says the sailors and the Ninevites provide this backdrop for the main plot, right? Jonah's rebellion we see throughout, throughout the book of Jonah. And what we also see is Yahweh's re relentless pursuit of of Jonah. Isn't, isn't that just, I get so much comfort for that, knowing that uh, throughout my own life, right, the, the various rebellious points in my life that God was constantly pursuing me. Jonah fled over the sea and Yahweh brought him back on track, at least outwardly through that big fish. And it's in this last chapter that, that Jonah's internal problems are finally exposed, right? The, the plant, the worm, the wind, the scorching sun, all leading to this moment the moment that Yahweh exposes Jonah. Here, Jonah is moved not by compassion, but by his pain for the loss of the plant, which he, which y'all, he didn't plant or cultivate. He, he doesn't care for the plant, but only for himself. And it's in this final verse, we see that the absolute uh, absurdity of Jonah's actions. I don't want you to miss this because it's beautiful, right? It, uh, basically, God is saying to Jonah, I mean, I can't believe you, Jonah. You were moved by a plant that you weren't involved in creating, but yet you you don't want me, the creator, to be moved towards the people of Nineveh, by the way, who I created in my image. Right? Yahweh compares Jonah's attitude towards the plant with God's attitude and actions toward Nineveh. You see, Jonah didn't want Nineveh to receive unmerited grace, yet he himself willingly accepted what? Unmerited grace. This is why I came back to the title of this podcast, Grace for Me, but ju Judgment for You. Yahweh is a God of mercy and compassion, as well as 
judgment. And he is only he is the only one who decides when he exercises either one of those. Um, I, I love this. Um, I, I heard somebody say this uh, earlier in the week. Uh, God does God things. And, and we may not understand it, and the mystery in that I think is okay. The tension in that is okay. So so what do we do with this story of, of Jonah in here in chapter 4? Uh, I just have three three applicable points I think we should take away. First is be careful not to put God in a box. So what do I mean by that? Uh, Jonah knew uh, the Lord's character, but but Jonah's good theology went bad when he tried to force the Lord to act as he wanted him to act. When we don't understand why God acts or responds or, or, or y'all, if he doesn't respond in a way that we think he should, um, it's super helpful for us to remember that God acts as he sees fit, not as we see fit. Let me repeat that. God acts as he sees fit, not as we see fit. The, the tension at the end of the story between God's mercy and judgment needs to remain a tension. I love the end of the story because a lot of commentators will say, um, there is a resolution, but I'm going to tell you there is there is not a resolution really at the end of, of Jonah. Uh, what we're left with is, you know, this question, will Jonah respond, right? If we read it one way, we're left sitting here beside Jonah struggling to understand how God's compassion and delayed justice fit together, right? That's part of this tension. But, but y'all, if we read it in another way, we're left standing back waiting for Jonah to decide whether he will accept God's uh, compassion on God's terms. And there's this tension, and it's uncomfortable. And the reason why it's uncomfortable is uh, because ultimately you and I are Jonah, and we struggle at times with various aspects of God's character, often in the areas of justice and uh, judgment and mercy. Uh, what we want, what we expect is clarity. I don't know about you, but I love black and white. It's the gray areas that 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 get me. And I think y'all in this book of Jonah, there is some mystery of God, why God does certain things when he does. Uh, and I think that's okay that, that there's some mystery. Uh, be careful not to put God in a box. Let God do God things. All right. Second, be careful not to uh, segregate our head knowledge from the rest of our lives. Uh, Head knowledge is, is our knowledge about God, and I want to make a, a clear distinction, right? Uh, you can know a lot about God and not know God. Uh, Jonah is somewhat of a, um, of a paradox, meaning that, that he has good theology, but his actions, the way he lived out his life, uh, are in direct contrast with his theology. And I think, uh, y'all, there's a fear for all of us to fall into this trap, right, of having good theology, which indeed is a great thing. God desires us to know who he is and to learn and to grow in our knowledge. Um, but but we have to be careful not to, to segregate our head knowledge from the rest of our lives. Our lives have to be lived out. Um, I, I always teach this, the difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right? Orthodoxy is what you believe, and orthopraxy is living out those beliefs. They have to be... Um, tied together. They have to be in harmony. And when they don't, um, that's where we can get off the rails. Uh, 
have to strive to grow in both areas here, uh, both in our knowledge of who God is, but then also we need to grow in living that out. Do not fool yourselves into thinking that head knowledge is superior to growing spiritual uh, to spiritual obedience or vice versa. We need both. Neither can exist in isolation. I like this. Kevin Youngblood says this about Jonah. He says, friends, be very cautious. Having good theology does not mean that you are following Yahweh. As Jonah shows us, one can have good theology and be in full rebellion against Yahweh. Uh, this is a scary place to be for sure. I just want you to understand that. Having good theology and being in full rebellion against God. Uh, we have to be on guard. Number three, be careful to guard against self-righteous arrogance. Uh, of special note, Jonah is self-righteous and he's arrogant. And we see his arrogance is directly tied to his theology. Sadly, such arrogance is quite common these days. Anyone, regardless of how much they have studied or learned, can become arrogant in what they think they know. How do we tell that, that either ourselves or somebody else is self-righteous uh, or arrogant? Um, it's because these people refuse to listen to others. We need to constantly evaluate ourselves, guarding against arrogance, and we must invite our church community into that process. I am a firm believer that church community helps in this area. It really helps keep us in check, really guards us against self-righteousness. All right, so let me wrap this up. Friends, how do we respond when God does not act as we think he should? Uh, first, it's by not putting him in a box. Second, it's by not segregating our knowledge of God from the rest of our lives. And third, by uh, not being self-righteous. You and I, we don't need to be the judge. Uh, this is the other thing that kept coming back around uh, this week as I prayed through this lesson. God will act justly against sin. He will judge. You don't need to be the judge. You and I, we do not need to be the judge. God will act justly against sin, and at the same time, his great love for every person in the world causes him to wait patiently, um, to give graciously, to forgive mercifully, and to accept compassionately even the most unworthy people in the world. Which, friends, if you were a believer, that was you one time. I hope you understand that. You were the most unworthy of people in the world, not deserving of God's grace and compassion, yet he reached down and saved you. The Lord will do things and allow things that we can't fathom, things that make absolutely no sense to us, whether good or bad. Uh, but ultimately, God's choices as to when and how he shows mercy and compassion or judgment are ultimately all his own. What are you going to do when God shows great mercy to people who deserve judgment? Will you arise and obey, or will you rise and flee? Thank you for joining us for another episode. Have a blessed week. We'll see you again next time.